Good morning, brethren. Sorry, Luke, that my children left you down there. I guess they got the same problem I do. <laughs> Don't like speaking in crowds, so. Anyway, um, I guess the one good thing about having the second message is that you, you're able to take a warm baton that's already been handled. So that's, that's my goal. Thank you, Andrew and, and Leon, for already running the first relays or the first part of the relay. So by God's grace, I'll take that baton and keep running with it. After hearing Leon's message, I was like, wow, you're going to have to watch my tongue. <laughs> Don't want to light a fire. Not just speaking to one person, but too many. <clears throat> um, so... Elvin asked me, I was supposed to have the opening next Sunday, and he asked me if we could switch. So uh, I guess it wasn't an even deal, but I decided I would do it. <laughs> okay, well, my title today is just simply, Rise Up, My Love. It's taken out of the Song of Solomon. It's God's affectionate call of love to his bride, the church. And we'll go on from there. Uh, but yeah, the title is Rise Up, My Love. Let's take a moment to pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you that we have the assurance that you love us and care for us. Lord, um, I think the word love becomes old at times and we forget its significance. Lord, help us to refresh it again and to see your passionate love towards your church today. Lord, give me grace to speak your word, and uh, I pray that you would lead me and, and bless, bless us here as we gather. Lord, I trust you in your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to start in the Song of Solomon. Um, just to start off, I'm not going to be there much, but... Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. <clears throat> and just remember, uh, there might be different translations as to what the Song of Solomon means. I think there is debates on that. Um, I guess I choose to be of the party that believes it's uh, God speaking to his beloved, the church. <clears throat> so starting in 10... My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle, or turtle dove, is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. So this is God's call to his church. Um, I wish I could adequately describe the uh, love and affection that's in those words. I don't know that I can, but um, it shows his affection and desire to his bride, the church. And uh, you've all been to weddings and seen newlyweds, and it's just refreshing, and I'm thankful that we had those amongst us. And it's refreshing to see that, that, that fresh, new love towards each other. And I think that's how God's love is towards us, towards his church. It's, it's passionate. It's, it's fervent. So I would, I would desire to assure us of that, that that is how his love is to us, his church. I want to read in Isaiah 62, 1 through 12. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest 
until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand, and by his arm, and by the arm of his strength, Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies, and the sons of the strangers shall not drink thy wine, for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, of the world, say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. There's really uh, descriptive terms he uses here. And uh, I don't know if we all know the meanings of some of these words. Um, there's the word Hephzibah. I don't know if any of you know what that means, but it means my delight is in her. It says, you shall be called, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah. That means my delight is in her. It's like a, a new groom delighting in his bride. This is what the Lord is saying of his church. My delight is in her. As speaking of you. And Beulah means to marry. And thy land, Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. So this is, uh, again, a display of God's passion and love for his church, his affection. Now, as, as we do, um, when, when there's a marriage, the woman takes on the man's last name. Here it says, let me see if I can find it here. It says that you will have a new name. <clears throat> I'm not sure if I'm looking at it here. Is it verse 2? Okay, thank you. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness in all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name. So as when there's a wedding, there's a name change. Um, I think that's what he's referring to. When he's speaking of his chosen church. He said, you will be called by a new name. You'll be called by my name. Hephzibah, my delight is in her. You may not feel worthy of that, but be assured of it. God delights in you, and he desires to marry you. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, it speaks a little bit more of those lines, and I think we know this pretty well by heart. Ephesians five twenty-five to 32 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, 
that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought man to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his blood. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here signifies, again, a marriage between a bride and a groom, between Christ and his church. As I was studying, there's a song that just continued to impress me. Um, so I'll just read it. We all know it by heart, but uh, sometimes I think if we sing it, and not always, but we can, we can skip over the words. Church of God, whose conquering banners float along the glorious years, gathering harvests rich and golden, sown in poverty and tears. Onward press, the cross is bending, far toward the morning skies, speedy dawn of light portending. Church of God, awake, arise. In your costly temples praying, let thy kingdom come, we pray, are but words of idle meaning, if with these we turn away. Boundless wealth to you is given from his hand who owns it all, and his eyes beholds in heaven what you render back for all. Shake the earth and rend the heaven. Wake thy sleeping children, Lord, till the measure full and even has been rendered at thy word. Then from out her chrism of sorrow shall the earth redeemed arise and the fair eternal morrow dawn with opal tinted skies. Then the refrain is, Church of God, awake, arise. Christ your head and master cries. Send the gospel's joyful sound unto earth's remotest bound. So, yes, I think it's just a, just a call for us always to awake and arise. <clears throat> you are his chosen. So how, how great is God's love to us as his church, as his people? He gave the whole world that he created, he gave it to us, put us in charge of it. He gave us his only son. He gave us of his divine nature. And he made himself fully available to us. Now I know as a busy father, I know what it's like to not be fully available, even if you're at home. But God is different. He's fully available at all times. He's not distracted. He's not busy. He's not um, got to go to work, got a phone call to take. Um, you know, he doesn't have that problem. He's fully available to us. That's what he's all done for us. He's given us of his nature also. Also in Zechariah 2.8, actually I have it right here, it says that we are the apple of his eye. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. And you know how protective we are of our eyes. We wear safety glasses. We, you know, something comes at us. The first thing we close is our eyes. We, do, we protect our eyes. And here God says, He that touches you, touches the apple of my eye. That's how important, that's how protective he is of his church. You are the apple of his eye. 
He will quickly defend you and protect you. So back again a little bit to where we started. So think with me, since we are the bride of Christ, what is it that you would or do enjoying a spouse? I know we're not all married, but what is it, since we're the bride of Christ, what do you enjoy in a spouse? I could, I could call some people out, but I won't do that. But, um, if you think about it a little bit, you know what you don't enjoy, um, but you know what you enjoy. Um, you want a spouse that's cheerful, joyful, thankful, faithful, glad and willing to serve. Um, I don't know, I got it all covered, but those are things that we enjoy. You know, that's a blessing when someone is that way. Don't you think that we're the bride of Christ, that he wants that even more so of us? He wants us to be joyful, cheerful, thankful, faithful, glad, and willing to serve. So if we're the bride of Christ, which we are, let's respond that way so he can delight himself in us. His bride that he chose. We're called by his name. Let's be worthy of being his bride. So who likes a a spouse that's grumpy, selfish, unthankful? My wife's smiling. She knows what it's like. We don't like that. Let's not be that to Christ. We're his church. Let's be thankful servants and joyful. Point number two, are we drawing back from his fullness? I want to go to Psalm 78. And, and uh, kind of what I'm looking for here, we'll read a bunch here, but towards the end, um, we'll get to the main point. And my question here is, are we limiting the Holy One of Israel as the Israelites did? It speaks in here that they limited the Holy One of Israel. That's quite a thought, limiting the Holy One of Israel. Do we limit him? So let's read that, chapter 78, 1 through 41. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, shewing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shewed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers, 
and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food, he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations. So they did eat, and were well filled. For he gave them their own, gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lusts, but while their meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen man of Israel. For all this they sinned, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were all, that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And just, just to let you know, I'm not reading this saying this is, this is where you're at or anything. It's just, um, I think we just need to be aware because the same, the same flesh they, they were made of, we are too. And we tend to be the same, same way. Um, God does wonderful things in our life, and yet we turn around and limit Him. We... Uh, we do not believe that he can do greater things. So let's not be, a, let's not be those that limit the Holy One of Israel. Um, he says his hand is not short that it cannot save. Um, I think we often don't utilize all the power that God has available. And in some, some measure, we limit the Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> so you may wonder what what does that have to do with being the bride of Christ um, I guess basically what I'm, what I'm trying to say is he loves us as his bride uh, let's return unto him a sacrifice of praise with her life and a gift of sacrifice. <clears throat> In Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, I'm going to read a different version here, and I hope you don't mind that. It's ESV. But it just seemed to explain it better. At least what I think, or at least what I like it to say. I, I don't think it's twisting the scripture. But it says here, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. <clears throat> so let's not be of those that shrink back, but let's press forward. That we're not uh, bring destruction our own self. 
And as I went through this, you know, I was, I was just made aware, and this whole message applied to my life. It, it was very needful for me. So that drawing back and limiting God is a sin to be repented of. And it's, as I looked into this, it's, I had to repent of it myself. Drawing back and limiting God. I think we often do it, um, not quite aware of what we're doing, but we shrink back from whatever cross might be before us, whatever it is. We shrink back saying, God's not able to take me through that. So like uh, Andrew said this morning, uh, seek God that you may live. So this is not to condemn. I hope I don't come across as condemning, but to encourage and, and to, uh, to inspire. So let's be inspired to rise to the challenges before us, because as the Lord ministered to Paul, ministering to Paul said, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So whatever you're facing in your life, his strength, his grace is sufficient for you. And actually, if you're feeling weak, so much the better, because his strength is made perfect in weakness. So if we're going to walk with Jesus, we will be stretched beyond our comfort zone. And I don't think that's anything new to you, but uh, it just uh, seems to be a fact. So let us prove the Lord and give him all we got and see if he won't pour out a blessing. I'm going to read in Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 6 through 18. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit. Before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord, yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And then we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So basically, I wanted to read this uh, for verse 10 mostly there. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there should not be room enough to receive it. It's like God is challenging us to prove him. He says, go ahead and prove me. 
Bring all your tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't return a blessing upon you that you cannot receive. You cannot contain it. It will be overflowing. And I don't think, yeah, he's talking about tithe here, but I think it's more than that. God's asking us to give ourselves to him. Do we by our actions say it is vain to serve God? Do we ever say that by our actions? I think it's an easy thing to do, to say it's vain to serve God and to call the proud happy. Have we left the zeal of our first love? We could read in Revelations, but I think we all know that, um, where he challenged the elder about having left his first love. We'll often hold back from giving the Lord our all because we are not sure what the outcome will be. So we can get encouragement from what Jesus told the father the demon possessed in in March Mark 9:23 If thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth <clears throat> So let's not limit the holy one of Israel Point 3 we need to encourage one another Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And I've often wondered at that. Exhort one another daily. How much do we do that? What does that look like? I mean, what... What's the ideal he's lifting up here? Um, you know, some of us work together, interact together as brethren, and uh, we had that opportunity. And I can I can testify, working with Zooks there, it's it's happened. You know, we were able to exhort one another, and it's a blessing. Um, not not as much as it should have. I'm the culprit. So let's exhort one another daily. Let's, let's make that uh, thing of our life. <clears throat> I'm read in Hebrews 12. Twelve, eleven through 15. <clears throat> it's along the line of exhorting one another. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight path for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. <clears throat> I'll stop there. So we need to lift up the hands that are hanging down, even those amongst us. And I think often um, it goes unnoticed uh, when a brother's hands are hanging down, um, we ignore it. Or maybe I just speak for myself, but it's easy to ignore the needs that are closest to you um, in lieu of those that are farther away. Sometimes we think that those with needs are out there, so out there somewhere, and ignore those right amongst us. So let's be sensitive to lift up the hands that hang down. 
And I, I'd have to say, I think for the most part, that is done. So I'm not, I'm not trying to browbeat you or say you need to, whatever. I want to read in Isaiah 42. Here's prophesied of Jesus and what he will do. Or will not do. <clears throat> 42, 1 and 3. 1 through 3. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. <clears throat> So you notice here the example of gentleness and sensitivity used in dealing with a bruised reed and a smoking flax. We can always be, or often, we can be a little uh, insensitive to some of the needs that are bruised or smoking right around us. Now look in Hebrews 10. <clears throat> Hebrews ten Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see of the day approaching." So he gives an interesting encouragement here. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, it's not real hard to provoke one another to something. Um, there's a lot of things we can provoke each other to. We're told as fathers not to provoke our children to wrath. Um, Uh, I think it also speaks about provoking the vain glory. But there's different things we can provoke one another to. But do we provoke one another to love and good works? I'm not sure how does, how does it work, provoke to love and to good works. But it, he sets it here as something we should do, to stir one another up. Possibly goad them on a little to love and good works. Encourage them. Maybe even push them forward a little. <clears throat> we can do that with one another. <clears throat> so who's, who's an able minister of these things? <clears throat> There's a little story that happened this week. Um, we went to uh, Pizza Ranch Tuesday night. It was Michael's birthday, and we had a gift card. And uh, so anyway, our waitress, young lady, came out, purple-dyed hair, kind of twisted, disformed face, simple-minded demeanor. And, you know, I was kind of like, okay. Um, but she really left me impressed what kind of waitress she was. She Not only did she make sure we got what we needed, kept her table clean, she went about to make sure we felt at home, took an interest in her lives. She was kind. She was cordial. She was very helpful. She even went so far as to instruct her children to appreciate their parents because they won't always be here. I don't know what, what the lady was all about, but um, just to encourage you, it's not who you are or how you look, whether you can minister to people or not. And... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to be prejudiced. It's just, 
you know, first impressions do have an impact, but I was, I just went away feeling so blessed. This lady ministered to us. And uh, I don't know what there was about her, but there was something she was desiring to bless. It seemed there was, there was something in her. <clears throat> So, again, it doesn't matter who you are, you're able to be a minister to those around you. You may have all kinds of excuses that you're not able to do this or that, but no, you are. We're all able to show God's love to those around us. Just like... uh, Andrew is talking about Amos the prophet, just a humble um, shepherd, and the other other men that were called of God. You don't have to be anyone great to be used of God. You may feel like you are the one with the greatest need, but your need may be met as you minister to others. Sometimes it seems that way. As you go about to minister to others, you find your own needs are being met. <clears throat> Luke six thirty eight says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall man give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, withal, withal it shall be measured to you again. So he says, Bring all your tithe into the storehouse, and prove me if I won't pour out a blessing upon you. What he's saying here. What you give, he'll give in return and even much more. So let's be ministering and giving. So along the lines of encouraging, um, how do we encourage one another? One thing, and here again I'm going to take from another version, Ephesians 5.19. It says, and this put a different twist on it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We can minister to each other through song. And uh, I've often experienced that working with others and they, they, they start singing. You know, it might be off tune, it might not have all the words, but it ministers to you. And it gets your heart and mind going, and uh, it just brings light into the situation. So like this here version says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we can, we can minister to others as simply as singing. <clears throat> Walked into an Amish farm about a week or so ago, and they just built a big shop, steel steel lined shop, concrete floor, so it was very echoey in there. And he was just singing his heart out, Amish style. And I didn't I didn't get the words, but it was beautiful. Just it was just echoing in there, and the salesman that was with me just perked up and went right there and peeking in the door and just absorbing it for a little. So we can, we can minister to one another in song. Let's not be afraid to sing even in public. I know my wife mentioned she goes to a local store and often the people working there are just singing. So let's, it's, it's a way to minister. You, you think you're not c- capable of doing much. Well, most of us can sing. So let's... Let's use the avenue of song to minister. We can also encourage through sharing the word. In Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19, It says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, 
And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And this is, it's good. It's, I think it's even a commandment here to do this with our children. But how about if we do it with one another as we're going through the day? <clears throat> Speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's a way of life. This person is speaking of God's law. That's an encouragement to be around a person like that, that the word of God is just flowing out of them. Let's be that person. <clears throat> yeah, I've often found it a blessing to be with brothers and to be able to discuss scriptural and spiritual things as we work. It's, it's an encouragement. It brings bright, brings light in the middle of a, a day of mundane task. It makes life bearable, actually joyful. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.34 says, But fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness, let not be once named among you, as becometh saints, neither, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And this is an area, honestly, I've been very weak in. You can, you can ask those I work with. Um, but he says that we should not have foolish talking or jesting amongst us, but rather the giving of thanks. I've, I've wondered at times, how are these two um, opposite things? Don't do this, but do that. Um, apparently they are. We can, we can be a people giving thanks instead of using your mouth, mouth for unprofitable things. <clears throat> so I'd like to read in Ezekiel. <clears throat> Ezekiel 47. Here's a picture, I think, of what what we are to be. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right hand of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the brink, At the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither. For they shall be healed, and everything shall live whether the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engede and Gedi, even unto Anegleum. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, for they shall be given to salt. 
And by the river upon the bank thereof on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his month, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. So I, I like to, and I've heard someone describe it, uh, I'd like to use this channel of water as God's life flowing through us. Um, it comes out of his house and flows down and brings life and healing wherever it goes. However, as he said about in verse 11, but the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And I think it's, if I can use this comparison, and it's, it's, a, it's a picture of what we become when we don't let the water flow through us. We become the miry, marshy, salty places that do not bring life. But if we leave that water flow through us, we continue to bring life where we go. So let's remember God's call to his bride, the church. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And remember, Hephzibah, my delight is in her. God's delight is in you. And what does God desire to see in his bride? Someone who is cheerful, joyful, thankful, faithful, glad, and willing to serve. Let's be that bride for God.